sermon today in the series Playing for Peace, a ripoff of every blockbuster uh, video available. Uh, I have put a clip in here from the show The Office, uh, so hopefully that will work out at some point, uh, perhaps, maybe. The trick is to undercook the onions. Everybody is going to get to know each other in the pot. I'm serious about this stuff. I'm up the night before, pressing garlic and dicing whole tomatoes. I toast my own ancho chilies. It's a recipe passed down from Malone's for generations. It's probably the thing I do best. Some moments are worth remembering and preserving forever. But have you ever had something go terribly wrong? You planned it, you prepared for it, you did it, but in the end it all came spilling out onto the floor. With this unfortunate turn of events, the disappointment and anger and frustration burst forth and all that negative energy spirals downhill, generating its own seemingly unstoppable momentum. In a weak moment, you lose your self-control. You say things you don't really mean. They may even be hurtful to others. In moments like that, instead of spiraling downhill, what if there was a way to find peace? Now, the Apostle James, he, he writes a letter to all of the Jewish Christians that are scattered around the Roman Empire in the first century. And, and you know, they, they must have found like all of their, felt like all their surroundings were chaotic. Uh, the bulk of their neighbors did not understand and simply did not like what they were doing, the values they were living. And wouldn't it be easy in a powerless circumstance to feel lost? Now, James gives uh, three different metaphors for steering, different ways of guiding uh, in this particular chapter of his letter. Uh, first, he says that we guide a horse by the way that we feed it. Then he says we guide a ship by turning the rudder. And he says we guide ourselves by our tongues, by what comes out of our mouths. How do we persevere in this world full of chaos? James says we are at peace when our tongues are at rest. Now, one place I feel at at least uh, the least peace is in a store. I'm not naming names. <coughs> Walmart. Um, there's something about so many people wearing so terrible flip-flops and clothing in the same place, all in a hurry, and it just seems so less than inviting. And Stores know this. Uh, I was actually reading an article from the BBC uh, that stores have entire marketing departments designed so that when you walk into the store, they can get you to buy things. They need us to slow down. They need us to slow down and to look at their 
products. And so the solution is that when you first walk into a store, that is where you find the longest uninterrupted open space. They refer to it as a decompression zone of sorts. Every young parent has one closet that serves the same function. Now, when your eyes see this empty space, the goal is that you will slow down to shopping speed. That you'll pause in front of something very expensive because it is profitable for you to be at peace. But the tongue, the tongue is an instinctive and impulsive reaction. The tongue doesn't want to pause for much of anything. It really is a battle of mind and mouth. If your tongue is busy talking, though, you won't get a taste for how God is moving among you. Now that's why when the Old Testament prophet Isaiah receives this call from God, an angel from the Lord touches a hot coal to his lips. As if to say, right now you don't need to speak, just follow. That's why when the faithful early Christians gathered together in that upper room, these tongues of fire descended upon them and God's very spirit guided their speech. Our ability to follow Jesus is directly connected to our willingness to pause. To pause our tongues. To hold back our words and then to wait for God's. Now, for years, pressing pause was a great challenge. Uh, Fresh from an evening run to the now extinct blockbuster, you get home with fried chicken dinner and a movie, or if it was on special, maybe two movies and six days to watch them, and you pop this video cassette into the VCR, and you press play, and a bunch of noise takes place, and inevitably something happened quickly in the movie, right? You find yourself with this lingering question about what is going on. If only I can pause the tape at that moment, maybe I can see it all a little bit better. And the great irony is that pressing pause would leave these thick lines across the screen. The pause button would actually distort the picture. But it did give you time to look at this fleeting scene. When we pause, we resist this impulse to run forward. When we pause, it distorts the world around us in which we live. Because as we focus on what is before us, all other things around us blur into the background. When we pause, we can reimagine what the world would be like now God's kingdom comes. When I was younger, I may have had occasion to say things I should not have, uh, not words to be repeated into 
a microphone, at least not again. <laughs> and, and, you know, I knew that I should not say them. I knew those words did not represent the values my family had taught me are most important. And on occasion, an adult heard me say one of these particular words, and I distinctly remember the soap in the mouth. Not liquid soap, a bar of soap. But I'll tell you what really got my attention, my grandmother's solution, a spoonful of vinegar. That taught me to pause my tongue. James says that our discipleship extends to self-control. How I follow Jesus is directly measured by what comes out of my mouth. And this chaotic anxiety that we live in is an ever-present temptation to do likewise and say things. Why not? Everybody else is doing it. I can't control the world, though. But I can control myself. I can shape my life with my own self-control. I can choose my words and the effect that they have on others. Now, recently I was uh, reading a story by a Christian author named Max Lucado. And he tells a story of a middle-aged woman in this small rural country community, and she had struggled for years with alcoholism. Uh, one day she decided that, broken or not, it was time to at least try to do something about it. She started going to a support group, and she began worshiping at this tiny, itsy-bitsy, small, handsome country, cute little church. It was a place where she could remember everyone's name and face, and they could remember hers. And one Sunday, as she walked into the front door, she overheard two ladies talking. When is the dirty alcoholic going to get here? She turned around, and she walked out the door, and she never went to another church to the day she died. So we don't trivialize an issue as simply curse words, the truth is we hurt people with our words. Our words ought to be healing words. They ought to bring grace and peace. They should build up and not tear down. Because the tongue, as we would use it instinctively, is not a value of God's kingdom. Now I say all of this because right after this service is over, we go back out into the world where things are fast-paced and people might not care about one another very much. And one day you will drop a pot of chili onto the office floor or some seemingly comparable situation and there will build a seemingly unstoppable momentum downward and you will be tempted to become a monster. And the moment that you open your mouth, you lose all of your power. So the question is this, will you put your mouth where your faith is? When the chaotic speed of circumstances frustrate you, will you pause to consider how to respond? Or will you react and set the world on fire?